The following podcast is presented by Ensign Services, Inc., a company engaged in the business of providing contracted for administrative and back office type support services to post-acute healthcare clients. Ensign Services provides accounting, human resources, compliance, legal, risk management, information technology, training, construction support, and other such miscellaneous services to its clients. These contracted for services are available to be utilized at the sole discretion of its clients. References within the podcast to the company and its activities, as well as the use of the terms we, us, its, our, and similar terms used during the discussion are not meant to imply that Ensign Services, Inc. or the Ensign Group, Inc. has any direct operational control, supervision, or direction of the independently operated post-acute healthcare entities. It's great to be back here again today, talking on one of our podcasts. I'm here today with Clayton Christensen. It is good to be back. I'm excited to be with you, Ryan. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, it's, it's, I really enjoy doing these with you. So one focus we're trying to maintain comes from encouragement that Mark Parkinson gave at an annual meeting a few years ago. Yeah. Do you remember, were you at that annual meeting? I was. When Mark I was. was, and he said, there's three things that we need to do better. And, and this is the one that I wanted to focus on. No, that's perfect. I do remember. Uh, and, and, and really, it comes from, a large part of it came from the book written by Atul Gawande. Atul Gawande. I mean, it, 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 Mark, Mark had talked about this separate, and, and the focus was instead of just focusing on keeping your residents alive, mm-hmm. giving them a reason to live, right? Right. And, and, and this book by Atul Gawande is very similar. And the, the book is actually called Being Mortal, yeah. What Matters in the End. And, and so really, maybe if, I'd love to dig into that a little bit. And if you could start uh, by helping to set up uh, what the issue is for us, what's the point of being mortal? Yeah. What's it really so, addressing? So Dr. Gawande... Uh, makes the point that, and and interestingly enough, Dr. Gwande, I believe he was put on uh, President Biden's task force for uh, for COVID. Uh, you know, he's he's a well known doctor. He's been on the speaking circuit quite a bit for many many years, uh, and he makes the point that. He says, you learn a lot of things in medical school, mm-hmm. but mortality is not one of them. Hmm. See, he he mentions that there are there are basically two unfixables that we have to confront. One is aging and one is dying, okay. right? We're all going to age. Right. We're all going to die. Right. So then he asked the question, he says, what is aging? Well, it, it, it's kind of a funny definition. He said, aging <laughs> just means we fall apart, <laughs> right? I mean, that's what aging is. We, I'm more fallen apart than Vanessa is, right? <laughs> right. I mean, no, that, Vanessa that, is younger than that, I am. That makes and sense. So, but, but modern medicine has greatly changed our trajectories, right? right? right. For example, we've, we've cured many causes of acute death, but in some ways, we've slowed the chronic dying process hmm. without necessarily improving life. We've just sort of we've sort of drawn it out. We're slowly pulling off the Band-Aid instead of instead of <laughs> ripping it off, I guess, to, to give an analogy. So so more people mm-hmm. are experiencing more aging. Does that okay. make sense? No, that does make more sense. More people yeah. experiencing more aging. And that means there's so many more opportunities to change the experience of aging for the better. Now, that's 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 really interesting. So really, on one end, uh, we have life that's being really greatly extended through right. through our modern Which science and discoveries. Yeah, I that's fantastic. Live longer. That's nice. I, what I guess we have discovered, though, is that that does lead to the issue of really how do we make that longer life more enjoyable? Right. Not just that we're living longer, but that we're enjoying and having a meaningful. Yeah. I don't know if I should bring this up here. It sort of reminds me of the Jim Gaffigan. Uh, he does. He does a little riff on saying, have you ever seen a, a 90 year old 
fall on a treadmill and he says it it really inspires me to want to die when i'm 70 <laughs> to see to see some of the struggles they go through but but yeah and 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 that's uh I don't know. We I, we don't need to cut that, do we? We can think no. Oh, again. yeah. That's, okay. I, the fact that you were questioning whether or not you should do it made me <laughs> want to say proceed. So so that's where the study of geriatrics and and geriatric specialists come in. So unfortunately, there's a trend that doesn't support this opportunity of extended aging. Even even though the elderly population is growing so quickly, the number of certified geriatricians has actually fallen in the United States by 25%. If wow. we go between 96 and 2010. Wow. So so this means we have people specializing uh, in extending life, but not in the supporting of the quality of life. We keep them safe, but we don't provide reasons for living, if that makes sense. No, it does. And, and is the thought then that um, really more robust geriatric care could, could help alleviate the problem? Yeah. I mean, again, and I'll add this too, from what I had previously planned on, if you think about a, if you think about an airline's uh, major, you know, their, their number one priority is keep people safe. Right. Right. But I don't love an airline because they keep me safe. That's, <laughs> that's sort a, of that's a base a, expectation. I see where I you're have. going with this. Yeah. I don't say, hey, Southwest Airline was great because we didn't crash once. Right. <laughs> the Southwest Airline is great because of the experience that they give me right. while I'm flying with them. So so the book mentions an interesting study between those receiving usual care and those receiving specialized geriatric care, okay. okay? So there's two groups, right? You got the control group and then those receiving geriatric care. Within 18 months, 10% of the patients in both groups had died. So neither had an advantage in longevity. This wasn't about extending life, right? Okay. However, the patients who had been seen by a geriatrics team were 25% less likely to become disabled and 50% less likely to develop depression. Wow, that's a, that's a huge number. So, so, and they were 40% less likely to require home health services, right? So that's, this is, this is how Dr. Gawande responded to that. Think about it. He said, these are stunning results. If scientists came up with a device and called it, and this is a quote from his book, and call it an automatic defrailer, just he's making this up <laughs> and and it wouldn't extend your life but it would slash the likelihood that you'd end up in a nursing home or miserable with depression mm -hmm. we'd be clamoring for it we wouldn't care if doctors had to open your chest and plug the thing into your heart we'd have pink ribbon campaigns to get one for every person <laughs> over 75 congress would be holding hearings demanding to know why 40 year olds couldn't get them installed <laughs> medical students would be jockeying to become defrailulation specialists that was well said right and and wall street would be bidding up company stock prices mm -hmm. But instead, it's not this magical device. It's just geriatrics. Hmm. The geriatric teams weren't doing lung biopsies or back surgery or insertion of automatic defrailers. <laughs> what they did was to simplify medications. They saw that arthritis was controlled. They made sure toenails were trimmed and meals were square. They looked for worrisome signs of isolation and had a social worker check that the patient's home was safe. That's, that's simple solutions yeah. that we could put into place. Yeah, that's really interesting. So Dr. Gwande really feels like society needs to, to put a lot more energy and, and put a much bigger push into developing geriatric specialists instead of just doctors then. Right? Yeah, yeah. He, you know, he differentiates the two. He mm -hmm. says that the job of a doctor is to support quality of life, which basically means two things, right? As, as much freedom from the ravages of disease as possible 
and the retention of enough function for active engagement in the world. And most doctors treat disease and figure that the rest will take care of itself, mm-hmm. right? They just hear, we'll, we'll extend their life and then everything else right, will work be, out. It'll right. be good. But the difference is what geriatricians do. They help to build our resilience in old age and our capacity to weather life. It, it requires attention to the body and its, and its alterations. So, you know, vigilance over nutrition, medications, and living situations. And it requires each of us to contemplate the unfixables in our life. The decline, right, that, mm-hmm. that unavoidably we're going to face in order to make the small changes necessary to reshape it. Does that kind of make sense? Yeah, no, that does. So... You know, but despite all this, he said the statistic was 97% of medical students take no course in geriatrics. Wow. That's a that's shocking number. Right. And, and, and according to the statistics of that study that I just mentioned, life for older people could be so much better than it is today if we would just change this focus. Wow. So <laughs> so rather than just bemoan that the fact that only 97% of medical students are right. taking no courses and in it. fewer geriatric specialists. E- e- and... Exactly. What else what can we do to help the situation? Yeah, so I think I think our paradigm just needs to shift, mm-hmm. especially those that are in the skilled nursing or or home health industries and those that are taking care of the elderly. It's important to realize that it's not so much death that the elderly fear. It's what happens short of death, hmm. right? It, as we age, it feels like we have to end up yielding such a large amount of control of our lives to others, right? Right. I mean, it, it seems like our choices have become die young, living it up skydiving like <laughs> my son loves to do, you know, or, or, or yield up all control of our lives. Hmm. So, so think of what happens then, for example, in a skilled nursing facility. We have priorities, and these are good priorities, like like the airline's priority is good to be safe. I don't want them crashing. Right. You know? It's important. We, we have priorities like avoiding bed sores and maintaining residents' weights, and, and these are important medical goals. Mm-hmm. But, but once we realize that they are a means and not an ends, right? Does anyone ever sit down with a resident and really try to figure out what living a life really means to them? Mm. And then what efforts do we go to in order to make that facility a place where that life becomes more possible? Hmm. It's it's a difficult challenge, but this is their life. I mean, when it's my life, I hope somebody cares about this yeah. when I'm in that situation. No, I, I totally agree. Um, and that just makes a ton of sense to me. You know, people really do love their homes because they get to decide how to spend their time, who gets to come over, uh, how they decorate it. You exhale when you go in your house. It's it's comfortable. It's safe. It's your sanctuary. Um, Privacy, your security. And and people really, really hate leaving their homes because they they lose all of that. And they, in a lot of ways, lose a sense of freedom. I don't know. Can you talk on that? How can we help fix that part? Yeah. In the best facilities that I've seen, care providers really understand that they're entering someone else's home, mm-hmm. right? And, th- and that changed the power relations fundamentally. The, the wrong ones, the, the residents come in and, and those that work there feel like, okay, you're, you're in my place now and we're going right. to... But, but in really great places, the CNAs, the housekeepers come in and they feel like they're entering someone else's home. The, the residents have control over their own schedules, the ground rules, the... The risks they did and did not want to take. Just the attitude of the employees makes so much of a difference. Does that that make sense? Kind of that that differing paradigm? No, it really does. And then another thing is understanding a key difference between young and old people. Mm -hmm. Young people 
they love meeting new people and right. and uh, you know doing new things. But but old people prefer the opposite. Studies find that as people grow older, they interact with fewer people and concentrate more on spending time with family and established friends. They focus on being rather than doing, right? On the present more than on the future. Right. So so to just be aware of that and help them facilitate those established relationships that are so much more important to them. No, that's a, that's a really interesting perspective. It, it seems like um, with old age and fragility that uh, that really the perspective changes on the individual person pretty drastically. Yeah. Um, and, and when that person's perspective changes, you know, that their goals and motivations probably change as well. And so, you know, given that, I don't think we can necessarily apply the golden rule of uh, do unto others as we would have them yeah. do to us because they're perspective is different and i think we need they to don't understand necessarily it want what right, we want exactly, right so exactly. so if i'm running a facility i want to make sure that my teams are really curious about what their residents care about mm -hmm. in their lives like i i want them to know and understand what they've been forced to forfeit but but this isn't easy right i mean mm -hmm. it's it really is easier said than done it's not easy to help caregivers think about what that really entails so so think about it this way Really, a skilled nursing facility and an assisted living facility, they're much more built for family members than they are the residents. That's interesting. So, so you want, what, what do I mean by that? Think, think about it. We tend to want autonomy our, for ourselves, but we want safety for those whom we love. <laughs> right. Right? Right. You no, know, think I, about I that? We right. want, my, my son loves to skydive. Uh -huh. I love for him to be safe. <laughs> There's a conflict there. Right. He wants that autonomy. Uh, I, I want him to be safe. And right. so, so these skilled nursing facilities and assisted living facilities really are built for the family members, and they haven't been built for the residents who want to live. Hmm. Family members want them to be safe and healthy, and that's good and that's important, but mm -hmm. we need to figure out how to run our operations with the satisfaction of the residents more in our minds. So so what what really is it then um, that's that's really hard about being in an assisted living or in a nursing home? You know, f what really do the caregivers need to, to empathize with? Yeah, I mean, think about it. I, I really like this analogy. I've, I've shared it before. Mm -hmm. I hold up a daisy in front of my team, right? And this beautiful daisy with all these petals. And I and I would say, think about what each petal on this daisy represents. Mm -hmm. Each petal is something that this resident loved to do in their life. Play tennis. Right. And I pluck that petal and pull it away. Go visit with their friends. And I pluck that petal and I throw it away. Uh, golf, go on hikes, visit grandkids, right. uh, travel, book club, and and each one of those things that have been pulled away, now they're standing with this 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 daisy that has no more petals. This is how our residents feel when they enter into our facilities. Everything mm. that gave them life, everything that they felt like gave them this this zest for life, this beauty, they they now feel like this flower without any petals. And that's a good analogy. I can know, I can just picture that. No, that's... and 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 if we can understand that and realize and somehow bring the, some of those petals back or talk mm -hmm. about those petals or 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 help them understand. Look, Doctor Gawande says there's really three plagues of nursing homes. Okay. He says boredom, loneliness, and helplessness. Hmm. And just training your your teams to understand this, you'll you'll find that 
they'll creatively come up with ways to counter them. It's not even like you have to direct them and say, okay, counter boredom with this, counter loneliness right, with this. Right. But if the teams know this and they empathize with it, they're smart. Yeah, I mean, I, I was going to really comment on that just based on some of the different examples that you've used, which is that, that really it seems like it's the type of culture that you end up getting set yeah. up in your operation. I mean, you can't, there's so many different examples that could that could come up that you can't really give instruction and train on all of them. It's it's really about building a culture that learns to kind of combat those plagues. Yeah, I, you know, we talk about it agnosium, I know, but... but... <laughs> But just building the right culture and for yeah. heaven's sakes, hiring for culture, right. caring about right. the culture of the people that you're interviewing, that is really the battle. Culture, mm. I like this, culture is what we repeatedly do because it's who we are, right? We don't have to act it out. Right. It's just who we are. And right. so if we're hiring for culture, it's going to be so much more effective. Culture will lead to great changes and it will it will strangle those same changes if it's the wrong culture, right? Depending right. on what the culture is. I, I love the story in the book. And if you have the book uh, being mortal, it's around page 120. This doctor sort of fought against his own infection control inclinations and concerns. And he decided to acquiesce to this idea of bringing in a lot of animals into the facility. Those of you that have done the Eden projects in your facilities, it's it's very similar to this. But the whole concept is to liven up the days of the residents. But you can imagine as a doctor, there's infection issues right. and it's going to be dirtier with all these animals. You're and that conflict of, smell of and, yeah. safe again. <laughs> so this is how he, he described, he said, it started, I like this. He says, it started as a beautiful disaster, <laughs> right? Mm -hmm. Let's listen to his own words. Now I'm quoting from the book. He said, we didn't know what the heck we were doing which was the beauty of it. They were so patently incompetent that most everyone dropped their guard and simply pitched in. The <laughs> residents included. Whoever could do it helped line the cages with newspaper, got the dogs and the cats settled, got the kids to help out. It was kind of glorious chaos. <laughs> you I picture, picture that? Oh yeah, I can picture it beautifully. And the residents, but he, but he says this, this is another quote. The residents began to wake up and come to life. Psychotropic drugs for agitation decreased in particular. The total drug costs fell to just 38% of the comparison facility. Not fell by 38%, fell to 38%. Wow. Deaths fell 15%. That's, those are incredible I mean, numbers. You, you, and, he, and he says this. He says, I believe that the difference in death rates can be traced to the fundamental human need for a reason to live. That is, I'm, I'm glad you quoted that because I haven't had the opportunity yet to, to read the book. And I, I man, I just really uh, love that story. <laughs> so I can picture it just perfectly. The results sound great. Um, and, uh, you know, I've, I've been to a couple of our facilities that were doing the Eden and like seeing animals. That. Yeah. Seeing animals in the facility living there. Yeah. But there's, <laughs> it's, there's, there's something very special about it and, and you can see people pitching in in different ways. Yeah, That's There's a great just story. something about, I, I, there's another facility in Connecticut that gave each of its residents a plant. If, you, if, if the animal thing scares you, mm -hmm. they gave each of its residents <laughs> a plant to take care of. Right. Uh -huh. Another facility had dogs that, that were taken care of by, by a Mr. L and he, this, this Mr. L that he's talking about, he says he began eating again. He began dressing himself, getting out of his room. The dogs needed a walk every afternoon, and he let us know that he was the man for the job. That's awesome. And three months later, he moved out and back into his home. They were convinced that this program of being needed, right. of, of waking up and having a purpose mm -hmm. to live 
and and again, it's 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 you know we're so anxious to serve these residents, but we're giving them a chance to serve. Right. Mm-hmm. The bottom line is, it's possible to provide them with reasons to live. Like, you know, the, there's the facility that uh, Mark Parkinson showed us at that annual meeting when he talked about giving the residents a reason to live, that they worked at a, at a food service line at a homeless shelter. Those residents loved that day. Yeah. They loved putting together the meals and, and helping and even residents with dementia so severe that they had lost the ability to grasp much of what was going on. They could experience a life with greater meaning and pleasure and satisfaction because they felt that inherent need that they have of of being needed yeah i i i really love the idea and and i i remember that from the annual meeting too that was a really great powerful part of it yeah it sounds like we really have to ask ourselves you know what more they need to do to feel that life's worthwhile right in addition to just being needed which is definitely a part of it um to mean to be needed makes life really feel worthwhile yeah that 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 is the the important point the reality is we all seek a cause Mm -hmm. beyond ourselves we we need to feel needed and and to bless others i remember talking to my dad uh, you know about why he's you know liked creating companies and and this idea of legacy and he's always just felt like he says, I want to leave something behind. I, I want I want my life to continue to exist through others and and mm-hmm. you know to leave a legacy. G- give residents the opportunities to serve and to be needed and to feel like they are leaving a legacy. Um I I, I love this quote from the book. It, it says, The only way death is not meaningless is to see yourself as a part of something greater, a family, a community. A society, right? So what we're doing with our residents is we're we're providing that for them. We're giving them a chance to feel a part of a community. We we need to stop treating the trials of sickness, aging, and mortality as medical concerns. That that, that experiment has failed. If safety and protection were all we sought in life, maybe we could conclude differently. But we want to have a purpose. And we can't keep denying our elderly the conditions that might make that purpose possible. I mean, how do we fix that mentality? How do we how do we change that? Yeah. The question I think we need to constantly ask ourselves is, is when do we try and fix and when should we not? Like in, in ordinary medicine, the goal is to extend life, right? We'll sacrifice the quality of your existence now, for example, by performing surgery, providing chemotherapy, putting you in intensive care for the chance of gaining time later, right? Mm-hmm. But but that needs to become more of a question. So here's here's Zen. You know, you've heard me quote Dalai Lama I, I have, and, and all of those. Here, Zen, <laughs> Zen says, you live longer only when you stop trying to live longer, <laughs> right? So that sounds so, very zen. <laughs> so think think about like doctors operate on different relationships with their patients, right? right? Some right. work on operate on a paternalistic relationship, and that means they just ensure they'll do what's best for them. The doctor, oh, I'm going to do this. I'm going to prescribe you this. You're going to take this, right? And it's just very paternalistic. Some have a more informative relationship. Mm-hmm. They tell you the facts and figures, and you decide. Right. What you want to do. And and Dr. Gwande saying as caregivers, we need to work more towards an interpretive relationship, which is the third type where where we help them determine what they want by asking what is most important to you? What are your worries? Well, it's it's more of, you know, kind of shared decision making. 
Yeah, that's that's really eye-opening to think of the, the caregiver's role in that interpretive relationship aspect. Really, any kind of final thoughts? I mean, this whole conversation. Yeah, because been... the, the caregivers are always just thinking, okay, I just want to do my job. I just yeah. don't want to make any mistakes, right? What's the doctor's right. credo? Do no harm, right? right? And, and that's what they're stuck to. Look, all of this mm-hmm. takes a paradigm shift and it takes courage. We, we, we need to stop or we need to be willing to stop doing things the way they've always been done and be willing to ask harder questions, right? Providing a reason to live rather than just extending life. And, and being mortal is about the struggle to cope with the constraints of our biology and the aging process, right? So, so Dr. Gawande says this. He says, we've been wrong about what our job is in medicine. We think our job is to ensure health and survival, but really it's larger than that. It is to enable well-being, and well-being is about the reasons one wishes to be alive. But whatever we can offer, our interventions and the risks and sacrifices they entail are justified only if they serve the larger aims of a person's life, right? When we forget that, the suffering we inflict can be barbaric. When we remember it, the good we can do can be breathtaking. So I guess I guess I would just conclude by saying I hope we can shift our mindset more effectively from not just doing our best to keep people alive but instead yeah, that's giving a, them a, a reason a, that's to a, live. That was really well said, Clay. Thank that's you a, thank you really for taking the time to talk about this whole subject with me today. Um I I, I just feel like personally it's been you know very eye-opening and yeah. Yeah, I'm hoping CNAs and and nurses and housekeepers and and DONs and and everybody that's involved in this will will kind of question what their paradigm has been and what they need to shift it to. Yeah, I, I like that paradigm shift description. Thanks, I, Ryan. Hey, no problem. Thank you. Thank you.